Welcome to the Cybersecurity TLDR show, where we save you time by providing you the too long didn't read summary of cybersecurity topics and news. You can find us on YouTube with video and all the popular podcasting platforms for audio on the go. Now let's get over to your host, John Good. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Cybersecurity TLDR show. This is the weekly recap for May 1st through May 7th. So if you're not familiar with how it works, we'll go through all the articles and then I am doing the after show over on my other channel on John Good Cyber. So that's on YouTube as well. If you're joining us for the live stream, welcome, welcome. If you're watching this on replay, thanks for watching and hope you that hope that you enjoy it. So uh, starting out here, India directs companies, government orgs to report cyber incidents within six hours. So India's nodal cybersecurity agency, Computer Emergency Response Team, CERT-N, has issued new directions that require all service providers, intermediaries, data center providers, corporate and government organizations to report cyber incidents within six hours of their detection. Also requires virtual assets, exchange, and wallet providers to maintain records on KYC and financial transactions for a period of five years. Companies providing cloud, a VPN, uh, uh, and a VPN also have to register validated names, emails, and IP addresses of subscribers. Uh, Cyber attacks on Indian organizations have more than doubled in recent years. For instance, uh, ransomware attacks on Indian organizations in 2021 increased 218% year-over-year reported from security firm Palo Alto Networks. So this isn't that new. Um, Definitely, you know, India has been getting hit with quite a few attacks. We had that small bank, uh, was that a few weeks ago, that got you know, hacked, breached, and they didn't have that much uh, security in place, right? And, you know, so companies like this, or countries like this, rather, uh, that are trying to up and <clears throat> up and come and kind of be, you know, a major player, uh, you know, they're trying to find their way, right? Um, the incident reporting within six hours, that's probably not going to work, Right. If you've ever dealt with incidents or, um, you know, anything like that, I mean, we have reporting requirements here in the U.S., but six hours, I just, uh, yeah, that's probably not going to happen. Uh, that, that is pretty fast because then it's like, well, okay, well, what is an incident then if you're going to make us report it that quickly? What if we find something where we're not sure if it's an incident and you know, then all of a sudden there it's this whole big thing, right? So definition of incident definitely matters if they're going to require something like that. Yeah. Uh, researchers find Amazon uses Alexa voice data to target you with ads. Shocker, right? A report released last week contends that Amazon uses voice data from its Echo devices to serve targeted ads on its own platforms and the web. The report produced by researchers affiliated with the University of Washington, UC Davis, UC Irvine, and Northeastern University said the ways that Amazon does this is inconsistent with its privacy policies. So if you're not familiar, um, I forget what year it was. It was a few years ago. There was this idea that, um, you know, they could extract from, uh, I believe it was the Alexa devices, they could extract 
you know, what you were asking it, what you were telling it, the commands you were giving it, all that kind of stuff. But then also recently we've had these articles where some of these companies are able to access your microphone when you're on mute, when it's not on. And this is kind of just another thing, right? Like, you know, how far is too far? What are you doing with that data? Especially when you're inconsistent with your own privacy policies, you know, that shows a lack of governance really of what's happening inside uh, as far as what's being developed and the capabilities because there's some kind of disconnect, right? And there's no oversight to restrict that or they're like, okay, just kind of push, push the line, right? Push the line and then if we get slapped on our wrist, then we'll kind of revert back. So, you know, pretty interesting. Uh, Amazon and third parties, including advertising and tracking services, collect data from your interactions with Alexa through Echo smart speakers and share it with as many as 41 advertising partners. So it's not just one, 41. Now, I think when you use these kind of devices, you have to just assume that your data and your you know voice commands and things like that are being harvested and shared with other people. And uh, again, we've seen this kind of thing with smartphones when you say something and then all of a sudden you're getting these ads, right? And you weren't even on the phone. Your phone was just right there on the table. And then all of a sudden, hey, this is an advertisement for what I was just talking about. It's kind of scary. Spanish Prime Minister's phone was targeted with Pegasus spyware. So the Spanish government said that mobile phone, the mobile phone of the Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez and the Defense Minister Margarita Robles were both infected last year with Pegasus spyware that manufacturers claim is available only to state agencies. Uh, so if you're not familiar with it, uh, Pegasus is sold by the Israeli group, the NSO group, and uh, it's used for spyware, right? It is spyware. Uh, must have it, um, they say it must have come from abroad as any such monitoring in Spain would have required judicial authorization. So it begs the question, you know, which country is targeting them? Is it a country? Is it somebody that got their hands maybe on the source code, right? We've seen a lot of that, a lot of source code being leaked over the years. And, um, you know, it, it's really... It's concerning in general, right, with spyware. But, um, you know, it, it just shows that somebody is spying on them, right? Uh, mental health apps have terrible privacy protection, reports find. So the vast majority of mental health and prayer apps are exceptionally creepy. Uh, Jen Cultwriter, the Mozilla, uh, the Mozilla Privacy Not Included Guide lead, said in the statement, they track, share, and capitalize on users' most intimate personal thoughts and feelings, like moods, mental state, and biometric data. The apps are designed for sensitive issues like mental health issues, yet collect large amounts of personal data under vague privacy policies, the team said in the statement. Most apps also had poor security practices, letting users create accounts with weak passwords despite containing deeply personal information. So it's pretty clear there's not really some kind of regulation on these kind of apps, which is obviously concerning because that information can get leaked out. If, you know, somebody has mental health issues, uh, they, they could be a target, right? Somebody could be trying to 
exploit that that um, that issue, that mental health problem, and try to recruit them to do something. And you know that that's one of those things where it's like if you're going to create these kind of apps, why don't you think of that? You should be protecting that data anyways. But especially the more sensitive that data gets, I don't know why you would have such weak security practices, right? That's just, that's very concerning. You know, if, if you're able to take in that kind of data, you shouldn't have weak security, right? Uh, the U.S. DOD tricked into paying $23.5 million to phishing actor. U.S. Department of Justice, the DOJ, has announced the conviction of Surakhan Ayantar, for, uh, age 40. I'm not sure if I said that right. But resident of uh, California for multiple counts relating to a phishing operation that caused $23.5 million in damages to the Department of Defense. So the this is what happened with the attack. So the registered he registered a domain, uh, dia-mil.com, which is similar to... Uh, DIA or DLA.mil to send phishing emails. The emails were then sent to the users of the SAM, the system of, for award management, which is this database for companies that want to conduct business with the federal government and they have to register themselves. Uh, and then links were sent to uh, users, links of a clone site were sent to users of the website login.gov where they entered the credentials for the attacker. Pretty standard phishing attack. Direct them to a site where they you know, basically think it's a legitimate site and then they enter their credentials and then you have their credentials. Uh, so this person was, uh, fa is facing a maximum potential penalty of 30 years in prison with a maximum fine of a million dollars or twice the gross profits of loss resulting from his offenses. The date of the sentences has not uh, been... Uh, has not been set yet. So don't trick the government. They will come after you for sure. Let's see here. Uh, so this is another interesting thing. Android security. We stop billions of harmful apps, app, app downloads, says Google. Google says it blocked 1.2 million apps from being published in the Google Play Store because the company detected policy violations in its app review processes, preventing billions of harmful installations on Android devices. Google says that it banned 190,000 bad accounts in 2021 as part of its efforts to hinder malicious spammer developers. It's also closed 500 inactive or abandoned developer accounts. So inactive, abandoned accounts, you know, those are dangerous because those are approved accounts. Somebody could get into them and post things, right? Post code and do all those kind of things. Um, but just the magnitude of this, right? 1.2 billion apps were blocked. Think about that. What, or a million, sorry. 1.2 million apps. That's significant, right? That's a lot of um, potential maliciousness. And just think of that at scale. You know, what Google is having to go through to vet through these app, uh, applications. You know, what, what kind of practices are they doing? What kind of applications are getting through, right? If you have 1.2 million apps that are being uh, that are being blocked, you know, there's ones getting through because it's really hard to go through that many applications 
unless there's like some really easy ways for them to just identify it. But I have to believe there's that many, many apps that are getting through or that are trying to be published that uh, there's some loopholes there that are going through, right? A uh, former eBay exec pleads guilty to cyber stalking. A former executive of eBay has pleaded guilty to taking part in a disturbing cyber stalking campaign waged against a married couple from Massachusetts. The couple's terrifying experience began, began after they wrote about uh, eBay in an online newsletter aimed at eBay sellers, which they edited and published. Under the campaign, parcels with horrifying contents were anonymously sent to the couple's residence in uh, Natick over a period of weeks in 2019. The packages contained live spiders, cockroaches, a fetal pig, a bloodied pig mask, a wreath of funeral flowers, and a book on how to survive the death of a spouse. Like, really? The campaign included traveling to Natick to surveil the victims and install a GPS tracking device on their car. The couple was also sent threatening private Twitter messages and targeted with Craigslist posts, inviting the public for sexual encounters at the victim's home. James Ball of San Jose, California, was one of seven eBay employees charged over the cyber stalking campaign. Okay, first of all, you're an exec at a major company, okay? So be a little bit more responsible. That's just ridiculous. And then on top of that, some of these things that this person did is just crazy. But the good news is that they got caught and that's what happens when you do cyber stalking and things like that. There's usually always a, a some kind of trail, right? And it's just a matter of deciphering or figuring out who done it, right? And you know, good on the Department of Justice or whoever is charging this person because that's just, yeah, you're you're gonna have you're gonna go to jail and yeah, that's how it is. Uh, let's see here. CDC tracked millions of phones to see if Americans followed COVID lockdown orders. The Center of Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, brought, uh, bought access to location data harvested from tens of millions of phones in the United States to perform analysis of compliance with curfews, track patterns, of people visiting K-12 through schools, and specifically monitor the effectiveness of policy in the Navajo Nation, according to CDC documents. So first of all, where does the collection of data in general stop? But, you know, this is a government organization, right? Uh, I don't think that that is probably legal, you know, for the government to acquire a bunch of data like that to track you, especially without a warrant, right? Like, you know, the, the I, like, what? The, yeah, that's just, that's really bad. Um, I'll, I'll be interested to see what happens with that. But again, you know, the, from a cybersecurity perspective, the interesting thing is just what is being collected as far as data and, um, you know, who has access to it, who can buy it. Uh, all these things matter. And, you know, it, that's just, yeah, that, that, that's concerning because, again, okay, so this is the government, but just think about all that data that is aggregated, that's harvested, 
And what if somebody else gets a hold of that data? You know, what other kinds of things can they do with it? And that's a concern anytime you're collecting data. You know, worst case, what can somebody do with this data? How much do we need to protect it? And I'm guessing a lot of these places that are collecting this data, like that they bought it from, probably aren't doing a lot of security, right? You're probably just collecting this data and it's just in some database that's probably unencrypted and probably, you know, protected with a default password. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's concerning, right? There, I feel like there's probably going to have to be some regulation, especially on data collection, because it's just, you know, without requirements, that's just not going to work out. Uh, let's see here. So uh, Meta has built a massive new language for AI, and it's giving it away for free. Okay, think about that for a second. It's got this AI language, you know, pretty sophisticated kind of thing, and it's giving it away for free. Okay, uh, we strongly believe that the ability for others to scrutinize your work is an important part of research. Fact, that's true. Uh, we really invite that collaboration, says... Uh, Yuel Pinot, a longtime advocate for transparency in the development of technology, who is now managing director at Meta AI. If you're going to use this in any kind of way, right? First of all, it's free, so always be on the, uh, on the lookout when something's free. You know, sometimes there can be issues with that. Um, but, you know, a company like Meta, Facebook, you know, these companies that have known issues with data aggregation and you know all, all these other issues with these social media platforms. I would, um, if you're going to use this, I would be very careful, right? Uh, definitely check for any kind of call home feature because I'm going to bet there's probably something that's kind of built in there. It's just a hunch, right? But be very careful. Um, yeah, be careful. Uh, every ISP in the U.S. must block these three pirate uh, streaming services. So a federal judge has ordered that all Internet service providers in the United States have to block three pirated uh, streaming services operated by Doe defendants who uh, never showed up in court and they've hid behind false identities. The blocking order affects Israel.tv, Israel-tv.com, and uh, sdarat.tv, as related domains, uh, as well as related domains listed in the ruling and other domains where the copyright infringing websites may resurface in the, in the future. Each ruling provides a list of 96 ISPs that are expected to block the websites including Comcast, Charter, AT&T, Verizon, and T-Mobile. But the rulings say that all ISPs must comply even if they aren't on the list. So, um, you know, if you're not familiar with how the internet works, right, uh, ISPs have a lot of say and control with what you see, okay? Uh, they are kind of the ultimate content filters, if you will, because everything has to go through them, right? Uh, that is kind of your, um, think of it like in your network, right? Like that's your egress point. So it goes 
into your ISP and then they have to distribute among the internet or to other ISPs and, you know, kind of that way. And so if you have all these ISPs that are, you know, restricting content, then that's, you know, that's going to kind of cut it off, right? Because you're not going to be able to access it. It's not going to traverse the network. It's just like uh, internal uh, or private IP addresses, right? If you're familiar with those, those are not internet addressable. Like they will, or internet routable, they will not route that traffic to those internal private IP addresses to the internet. And it's the same kind of way here. They just block it right at the, right at that point, right at the ISP point. So you can't access it. Uh, let's see here. And so uh, Nakasan says that Cyber Command did nine hunt forward ops last year, including in Ukraine. National uh, NSA Director and U.S. Cyber Command General Paul Nakasone said that Tuesday, uh, Cyber Command conducted nine hunt forward operations in different countries last year. A uh, data point he shared to illustrate why the command's use of persistent engagement is critical to its success. Uh, these countries have asked for our assistance deploying our defensive teams for being able to identify malware and tradecraft our adversaries were using and then sharing that broadly a commercial provider uh, with a commercial provider. Exxon said in prepared statements. Uh, so I looked up the definition of hunt forward because I was curious. Uh, hunt forward operations involve physically sending defensive op oriented cyber protection teams from the cyber national mission force to foreign nations to hunt for threats on their networks at the invitation of host nations. So, you know, that just shows uh, U.S. has a lot of cyber capability. We know this, right? A lot of the major companies in the world have a lot of cyber capabilities, but the U.S. is helping out its, its uh, allies, and hopefully, you know, we can start improving some of their capabilities, right? I mean, obviously, some of these smaller companies they're limited in their staffing. They're limited in their resources that they can put towards it. And it's a real issue. But uh, it's great to see that the U.S. is helping out some of these other countries you know, that probably need it. It's just like big businesses helping out smaller businesses or consulting companies helping out these smaller companies, right? All right, let's see here. Let's look through and see. Any other kind of major things? Uh, so secret school district crypto miner resigns. So a uh, Texas school district employee has tendered the resignation after being caught secretly mining cryptocurrency on school premises. Pings picked up by Galveston Independent School District's farewell a couple weeks ago arouses suspicion of the district's IT department Investigation into the activity determined that multiple cryptocurrency mining machines were operated on the district's network at six different Galveston ISD campuses without authorization. So this is somebody that had access to all these different locations, right? They physically went there, put them somewhere, put these machines somewhere to mine cryptocurrency. And, you know, I, I wonder how fast they actually picked us up, like how long this person had been doing this before they actually got caught, right? I'm gonna guess it was probably going, a lot, going on for a while. I would 
wonder, you know, if there's any kind of legal implications with this because at a school district, uh, you know, a government institution, anything like that, I mean, you're probably going to be subject to more scrutiny, more um, lawsuits or anything like that because, you know, taxpayer dollars pay for all that. They pay for the school. They pay for the Internet connection. They pay for all the stuff, right? And if you're abusing that, especially with cryptocurrency, you know, that that's suspect. There's, there's probably going to be something else that's going to come out of this, I would imagine. Right? Like, I don't think they're just going to be like, okay, you know, you're you're good to go. I mean, it's not like, um, you know, they, they obviously could have been doing way worse things, but I'd be interested to see, you know, what's going to come out of that. But kudos on this IT department for catching that. That's fantastic. And let's see here. The other last major thing here is that uh, pro-Ukraine hackers use Docker images to DDoS Russian sites. So if you haven't seen this one, this one's actually pretty interesting. Docker images with a download count of over 150,000 downloads have been used to run distributed denial of service attacks against a dozen Russian and uh, Belarusian websites managed by government, military, and news organizations. Behind the incidents are believed to be pro-Ukrainian actors such as hacktivists likely backed by the country's IT army. So see the actual article for more file names and hash values. But, you know, this is... Um, this is a newer thing. I don't think that we've seen this, or at least not that I can recall, uh, but you know, kind of making these Docker images and really tools like that uh, available to the, the masses. And, you know, it, it's definitely interesting. I mean, Docker obviously, you know, is a widely used thing and can be spun up pretty quickly, especially to spin up some DDoS attack, right? Like, you know, maybe that takes like, couple minutes or something to to spin this docker container up and then you've all of a sudden got you know a, a, a bot right and when that happens you could just you know instantly let's say let's say it takes you five or ten minutes to spin up some hundred and fifty thousand bot uh, botnet right with these containers that's pretty substantial um you know, especially if you have a bunch of people that are just out there and it's like, hey, run these three commands if you want to support this effort. And, you know, you get all these other people running it. So um, that that was just an interesting, interesting article that I would actually recommend you look a little bit more into if you're interested in Docker especially. But if you're following the, the Ukraine-Russian, uh, uh, Russia invasion and issue. But uh that is it for today in this episode. Make sure to join us over on my other channel, John Good Cyber on YouTube, where we'll do the after show right after this. I'm going to spin up that live stream. And with that being said, I will see you next week. Thanks for stopping by.